0: Audiologist a Phonak podcast Welcome to the Audiologist a podcast series created by Phonak to offer audiologists and people interested in audiology new perspectives on hearing health topics This series of podcasts is all about adults with severe to profound hearing loss at the microphone is audiologist Bernadette Fulton. I'm audiology manager for severe to profound hearing loss at Phonak International headquarters in Switzerland. With me today is Professor Pamela Souza. She's a professor and chair of the Department of Communication Science and Disorders at the Knowles Hearing Center at Northwestern University in Illinois, in the U.S. Pam undertakes research and clinical teaching in severe and profound hearing loss, the variability of outcomes, hearing aid features and processing, and she's a contributing author to the guidelines. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. Pam, is the optimal fitting of technology key for achieving the best possible outcomes, especially for our clients with severe and profound hearing loss? Isn't that self-evident? Why should we revisit this?
1: You know, in hearing aids today, we have a a wide variety of technology options, really control over almost every aspect of the signal. But there are still questions about how best to use that technology for some patients, and patients with severe to profound hearing loss are a great example. Um, The patients are sometimes unclear about the choices before them, and the audiologists are sometimes unclear about the best possible choice for a particular patient out of all the available technology. And for the most part, this has to do with the complexities of severe to profound hearing loss and the way in which these individuals are different than patients with mild to moderate degrees of hearing loss.
0: Could you please tell us a bit more about what it is that's different and why validation may be more important for these clients than, say, the general client's that we see with mild to moderate degrees of hearing loss?
1: Certainly, well, we can assume that any patient we see that has severe to profound hearing loss has a few obvious challenges to overcome with hearing aids. And the first of these is audibility. Um, Because they have so much hearing loss and so much threshold elevation, they require a lot of gain in their hearing aids to bring that speech signal up to audible levels. But they are also going to have a reduced dynamic range where too much gain is going to be uncomfortable or distorting for the patient. So because the window in which to work is relatively small, it becomes important to know exactly what the patient is receiving through their hearing aid. And that's where a real ear uh, or a validated prescriptive target comes in. So by using a target um, that is specific to someone with severe to profound hearing loss, we're placing the audible speech within a range that is comfortable for that patient.
0: So, would you say that a proprietary fitting formula from a manufacturer is okay to use with this group?
1: I think a proprietary fitting formula is okay, provided the audiologist is able to measure the result of using that fitting formula. I think what we want to avoid is guessing uh, or you know, just estimating what the patient might be receiving. Um, patients are not always good reporters for the benefit that they get through their hearing aids, and so understanding the signal that they're receiving, um, particularly how much of it is above threshold, is quite important.
0: So it would be okay to use a proprietary fitting formula and then hit the first fit button, but then you must check the match to target or check the output targets against audibility for that client.
1: Exactly. And in some proprietary fitting formulas, there is no prescriptive target to match, but we can still look at the information received by the patient in terms of whether it's above threshold and below their loudness discomfort level. And that could be done regardless of what the fitting formula is.
0: Okay. So you've mentioned asking them subjectively about their fitting. How much priority would you give to matching the prescription target? If you've done a real ear measurement, you've matched your prescription target very well to the output of the hearing aid. Have you you done enough or is there more to it than that?
1: I think there is more to it. And I would also say that... The prescription target is a starting place. It's not necessarily the case that a perfect match to target will result in the best possible outcomes for all patients, partly because their subjective reaction to the hearing aid and to the sound quality and loudness is also important. So we do start with the target. Um, I would say that in cases where we do not match target, there should be a reason for doing that. Uh, So the reason might be that sufficient gain can't be achieved for that particular patient to match target. Uh, The reason might be that uh, the patient's subjective loudness when the target is matched is uncomfortable for them, or it might be something else about the sound quality. So it really becomes a balance in going by the numbers, looking at the match to target, and considering the reaction of the patient when wearing the hearing aid.
0: I can see a time in the future when receiver technology may improve and receivers may be able to deliver more output in the high frequency where it's often hard to match target for this group. It'd be really interesting to see whether the listener can accept that additional output in an area where they're really not used to having so much amplification.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we could think of the importance of the match to target with some extremes. So I have certainly seen patients who really don't want gain through their hearing aids, right? They perceive that the sound quality is better when they're not hearing as much amplification and they're falling well short of target. And that's not an acceptable situation because the point of the hearing aid um, is to provide that gain so that they can have audibility. Um, So we would not want to be guided entirely by their subjective preference in that case.
0: The real ear measurement is obviously a really excellent tool to check if that's happened. But I know that a lot of clinics around the world, and particularly in some countries in the world, do not have access to real ear measurement equipment. If an audiologist is working with adults with severe to profound hearing loss, And doesn't have this equipment, what would you recommend? Should they send people to another clinic or is there something else they can do?
1: You know, so I think of this as a hierarchy of desirable approaches so the first would be to conduct real ear with real ear equipment and therefore get a measurement of what the hearing aid is giving for the listener Um, there are hearing aids that are capable of taking a measurement in the ear without a separate piece of real ear equipment so that might be an alternative for clinics that do not have the dedicated real ear equipment themselves Um, Failing that, you know, functional gain is a possibility. It's it's not ideal because it requires uh, patient participation. It's more variable and it's not uh, as informative as all the details of real ear, but it could be done just to ensure that there is sufficient audibility for the patient. Um, and then down at the bottom of the hierarchy, there are clinics that must go entirely on subjective reaction yeah, of yeah. the patient.
0: So when you say functional gain, do you mean something like aided thresholds or do you mean test box measurements or something like that?
1: Well, the classic functional gain would be a sound field test where threshold is measured, but this time aided threshold. So the patient has had an audiogram without the hearing aids, and then uh, while sitting in sound field with the hearing aids on, and it can be both hearing aids, um, Mm -hmm. there is a repeat of a threshold measurement. So for at least octave frequencies, perhaps interactive frequencies, we can actually measure the gain provided by the hearing aid. Um, So that allows us to calculate about how audible the speech would be. The other way to use a sound field measurement would be to uh, measure speech recognition with the hearing aids on. Uh, You know, this is kind of an older, more traditional way of fitting hearing aids, which we've abandoned as real ear became more popular, but it still works if necessary.
0: Well, I definitely used to do aided thresholds as a routine part of a hearing aid fitting before real, real ear measures were available but I think a lot of audiologists will never have seen that technique used now. So, I would like to try to recap the messages from our discussion today about working with severe to profound hearing loss. And to recap, there really aren't shortcuts. We're only going to get what we want out of the hearing aids if we really make sure that the fitting is the best possible. And the way to do that is to start by match to target and preferably a prescriptive target. If you use an automated first fit, then you must check and adjust the fitting that results according to real ear measurement. And really, a measurement is really the best possible test that can be done. But there are alternative methods like functional gain that you've mentioned, which could be used in clinics that don't have access to this equipment. The other thing that you state in the guidelines is that if you've started with a match to target and then you've made some adjustments based on subjective preferences then you've recommended that the real ear measurement should be repeated again. Is that too much measurement?
1: You know, it is always, I think, desirable to know what the patient is receiving from the hearing aid, but the audiologist needs to apply judgment too. So we all know that there are adjustments that we make to the hearing aid programming software that are quite small and that are unlikely to result in any substantial change to speech audibility. Um, So I would say that the... Measurement should be adjusted if there's been a significant change. So, if you have made um, major changes to gain, um, if you've changed the hearing aid or the fitting formula, um, but probably would not be necessary with very small adjustments to something uh, sound quality. You know, if if I lowered uh, the gain at 7,000 hertz, for example, that's not going to produce a major change to the overall speech audibility. So I might not repeat the real ear testing in that case.
0: Pam, we've got a couple of extra minutes and I'd like to ask you another question, which is about acclimatisation. Would you ever consider providing reduced gain or less than the prescription targets for adults with severe and profound hearing loss?
1: I would. And I think one situation many of us run into is a patient who has been wearing a previous device and has become accustomed to that device. Um, We all know that successful hearing aid wearers like the sound of their device. Suddenly they're wearing something new and their perception of the new device may be that it has substantially more or less loudness or just different sound quality. And I think that is particularly a case where slowly stepping into the new prescription is sensible Um, many of the hearing aids that we use allow for automatic adjustments of gain so that uh, the patient does not need to return to the clinic in order to have each of those adjustments made and that can be a way to slowly move them from an initially acceptable fit to something that is closer to the desired gain.
0: So this is quite different from a rationale that we use for acclimatisation with mild to moderate hearing loss, where you might be underfitting them initially with the aim of eventually getting them to accept adequate gain, but without a big step. What you're talking about doing is using their already acclimatised fitting as your starting point and then building on that towards the game prescription that you would prefer for them. Have I understood?
1: You have. And, and I think many of us who fit severe to profound hearing losses have experienced a specific situation where someone may be changing from a more linear fitting to a more compressive fitting. And sometimes the initial reaction of the patient is that that new fitting is not loud enough um, because they're accustomed to having a more linear gain. Um, I think that's becoming a less common situation as uh, we all are fitting compression, but I've certainly seen it. And sometimes those patients are um, unconvinced that the new fitting is appropriate so that it requires a little bit of gradual adjustment and counselling as well.
0: Well, Pam, we've come to the end of our podcast today. Do you have a closing message for our listeners?
1: You know, just that the technology is a wonderful tool for us. And I think a thoughtful approach to that technology, Um, the patient's, Reaction is very important, but understanding what we are giving for them is also quite important. And it's all uh, exacerbated in severe to profound loss because the range we are fitting in is sometimes quite small. You know, really, you may have a 20 to 30 dB dynamic range to work with. So understanding the speech audibility, the loudness, comfort, and uh, the patient's subjective reaction to it are all more important, I would say, than in a mild hearing loss fitting.
0: That's a really important message. Thank you so much for joining us today and thank you especially for your work in making the guidelines for best practice a reality. If anyone would like to learn more, then you can download the guidelines on www.phonacpro.com and look for severe to profound hearing loss. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast today. Goodbye. Adiologist a phonak podcast.